0: Everybody thought, like, wow, Star Wars, Mm. the biggest box office draw of all time. Let's stay away. But no, cats (laughs) came in. And I can't believe it won. More people were interested in cats than they were Star Wars. Unbelievable. It's it's craziness. It's absolutely bizarre cuckoo land we're in cuckoo land where a star wars film gets a bad review what is happening <laughs> exactly and cats rightfully gets extolled as one of the finest achievements ever can put to celluloid or is probably shot digitally it doesn't matter <laughs> the point is people have got cats fever again i expect this movie to run in theaters for 18 years just as the original cats musical did on broadway i'm just I'm I'm so I'm so exhausted because <laughs> why this weekend has just been so exhausting with the discourse surrounding. <laughs> so Star Wars. You know you don't have to participate in it. And that's the thing. The it's, it makes me feel really hard. Like really, it's really hard not to because uh, you know we're millennials, so we have to be extremely online all the time. Like we can't stop. What are we gonna do? Not check our phones constantly? What are we gonna Here's do? Thing. Not constantly check Twitter? That's impossible. Okay, that's just not the mm-hmm. world we live in anymore. No, you have to busy yourself with things in to borrow a piece of internet parlance, meat space. Mm, yes. Like activities with people to do stuff. That's what we need to do. That's what we need to return to. Mm. Uh, we need to go back and be consumers, contribute to the economy, keep the cycle of money flowing. And this is uh, true. we have to uh, put more stuff in the atmosphere when we go there. <laughs> a, our carbon <laughs> dioxide, the fume from our cars. We need to do all this. This is what we need to do. This is true. And so that that's what i'm really encouraging here john i said i i joked and I, i'm a lover of movies but i think it's over i don't think we have to watch movies anymore it's pretty much done <laughs> that the 20th century was a decade of movies and then they had like a i'd say uh like nine year run mm-hmm. into this new millennium and then yeah it's about it it's done it's um, over i mean but what's, what's tiktok be- <laughs> tiktok is now the dominant <laughs> okay that's exactly what my next question was what's going to yeah. replace it because movies were the, the cultural dominating force. So like, if it was being yeah. adapted into a movie, that's how you knew it was worthwhile. And so that's how we thought, that's how we knew Cats was going to be a, like a cultural force, a cultural phenomenon. It's finally getting turned into a movie. Perfect. Awesome. Yeah. Great. <laughs> it turned out awesome. And everyone was happy with it. Exactly. So, that's a great question. What is going to be the dominant artistic force or expression the new democratizing one mm.
1: well I if it's exclusive. any
0: indication i think it's vr everyone's on this vr train you no, no i think i think it could have been video games however they mm. got greedy oh that's true. now they're just interminable fetch quests and microtransactions and mm. that is certainly not uh not compatible with people like us who either a don't have the time <laughs> or b the inclination to participate in any games this is true uh, I don't the, even the have time to participate toxic, in Pokemon Shield anymore. Honest to goodness, and that's <laughs> th- that's a very simple game. Like that should be my farm bill. I should be able to like jump right into that at any time. But no, I just simply yeah. cannot find the time. I don't know what happened to me. Really, it requires more of a time commitment. Okay. I mean, I guess it's like if you're gonna get into it, you're gonna get into it. You know, it's like it's hard to just pick up for just an hour or say like thirty minutes. You can't do it for an hour. Okay, that's a that's a shame. I, yeah. I was hoping it would be something that. I don't know because video games in a way are democratized. However, they have to be funneled through one service like like a uh, Steam. Yeah, and I think or there the was Epic hast- Game Store. Yeah, <laughs> and maybe so, so, uh, maybe we need uh, more avenues for it, and hopefully the market will open up. Because before with movies, the gatekeeping the gatekeepers were the theaters that would actually exhibit your movies. Yes, and. Thank goodness I, that monopoly ended, and we'll never <laughs> see it again. Ex- oh, exactly. wait. <laughs> yeah. So it's the same thing here. You could say, like, oh, streaming services are opening a whole new avenue. No, it's just a chance for these companies to do a monopoly grab. That's mm-hmm. why Netflix spends $800 gazillion a year and uh, doesn't expect to see any of that profit back, is because they want to be the monopoly. They want to be the one source you have for streaming. Yes. Um, and Disney has come in with their considerable resources and said, no, it'll be us. hmm Yes. Yeah. And so I'm. What just, a fun uh, time waiting. we live in. Yeah, <laughs> it's a great time we live in, and it's also great that I'm sure an antitrust case will be brought before the Supreme Court, and they'll all rubber stamp it and say, "No, this is good. Um, <laughs> let let businesses uh, monopolize and just have their own uh, way with things." Um, yeah, it's a wonderful time we live in, Yeah. and I love approaching a new decade with optimism. <laughs> That's what we have Bernie Sanders for, Greg. Bernie Sanders will save us. Yes, yeah. This is yet another Bernie Brothers, Bernard Brothers <laughs> podcast. I apologize that <laughs> you have to, again, hear that uh, Bernie is the, the hope, the truth, and the light, <laughs> and any other alternative is just uh, at least four more years of Hell World, and hopefully very few years after that, because yes. we'll all be gone. <laughs> exactly. Actually, <laughs> yeah. I'm honestly, I'm leaning more towards Elizabeth Warren, because uh, I do want someone who Why? might be able to make it eight years. That's what I'm hoping for. No, so. uh, yeah, but eight more years of the same is the problem. No, and then those eight years of the same is no, what led to No, she's doing better another, than that. Another I'm not asking for Pete judge. Pete judge will be the eight years of the same thing. <laughs> Joe no, Biden would Elizabeth be, Warren will be the same cuz no. she's already capitulated on too much. You think I, so? Already John yeah already we're we're entering the discourse. Ugh. This isn't what we should be doing. Yeah, this is just more in, uh, internet arguments. Okay, stuff. but what was uh, Bernie's opinion on the last Jedi? Hmm? This is really what <laughs> this is the kind of stuff I care about from our con- uh, our candidates, okay? That's, that's what I want to hear. Where do they that's fall fair. on rise of Skywalker? <laughs> what do they think of race parentage? <laughs> yes. These, and so uh, these are the th- important well, we will address all those questions and more next week when you finally get, to get yes, the chance. I have I know. <laughs> I mean this uh, it's part of it it's just I was too tired but then also I do think the negative reviews kind of kept me away. I'm like really am I going to because there was such a thrill after seeing the the, the Last Jedi, it made me feel alive again. And I just... <laughs> Are you, really? I thought... There were the some the moments where I was that. generally like... I swear to God, when General Snoke bit it, or evil leader Snoke bit it, I turned to my husband yeah. and said, this is the best movie I've ever seen in my entire country. Oh, life. Oh, absolutely. That's sl- <laughs> it hits the slow-mo? That's great. That's a transcendent moment. Yes. Um, I'm going to steal my friend Brian's uh, summation of the movie. I'll, I'll just give... Uh, if, in case our audience is like desperate for a capsule review of Star Wars, um, I'm just going to steal his great line of the movie. It delivers everything you want... And not much more. So oh. <laughs> that's what I'll leave audiences with. But John, we're not going to talk about contemporary movies. God no, no, this ha- is the hell no, snobs. no. We're revisiting classics, or at least yeah. movies that have been deemed classics, and we reevaluate them and see why they touched on the cultural zeitgeist so well, and do they deserve to have that uh, that opinion re uh, 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 re reconfigured? I don't know what word I was going with there. <laughs> I should really have like uh, at least like a little bit of an outline. Yeah, if whatever. it deserves, you know, it, what you're trying to say is if it doesn't it deserve those accolades. And this Very is cool. a movie uh, that that's now gained a cult appeal because it's got it's gotten some renewed uh, relevance and interest mm-hmm. in our modern hell world. Uh, we're talk, of course talking about the sequel to a Christmas classic. Last year we looked at the original. Now we're checking out the new batch, as in <laughs> Gremlins Two: The New Batch. <laughs> So, me. what are you doing here? What were those guys doing to you?
1: Wow, that bad, huh? You want to come out? Come here, it's okay. Come with me, I got you. Take care of you. Everything's gonna be fine. What is this? Is this a little black armpit? Is that what happened to the old man that used to take care of you? Hold on a second! I'm sorry, I'm going to have to step in here. Just one second, sweetheart. So what's wrong with y'all? Y'all looking like a bunch of sad sacks. This is G2, people. We're writing Gremlins 2. It should be a party with pizza and anchovies, pineapple. Just come on, lift up the spirits.
0: Look. We're talking about Dem Gremlins again. Dem Gremlins again, exactly. Again, let me talk about the renewed interest in this movie, John, shall I? Go, go. Okay, so first off, in that uh, a lot of people, this movie has a cult appeal because it's somewhat of the anti sequel. Mm-hmm. The original Gremlins was a big hit, and Warner Brothers, the studio, desperately tried to get a hit, get a a sequel done out of it, but they couldn't quite figure out the magic, the weird um, tonal shifts that the original Gremlins had. So they brought back Joe Tante, It was six years later but Joe Dante said, I will only take the job if you let me do exactly what I want. And they said, deal. Mm. And little did they know. <laughs> but hey, we talked yes, about this the, in the past. This is this is the uh, Faustian bargain that Warner Brothers always makes. It's yeah, like, we're a director's s- first company. <laughs> let's, yeah. let, let's realize their vision. I'm sure <laughs> it'll work out great for us every time. Exactly. And like, like another Dante, Dante Alighieri, uh, <laughs> Warner Brothers went through hell. They spent $50 million on a sequel that basically try, uh, tried to z- zag wherever a uh, regular sequel zigs. Mm-hmm. And so that, that takes a special uh, relevance today when every sequel that we see every, or everything that's literally coming out today is a remake, reboot, sequel, stuff like that. So that's why people appreciate it now. The other one is because um, there's there's a satirical figure in here, Mm. uh, a company president named President Clamp, um, Mm. who may just have uh, some resemblance to a world leader that we see today. Yeah, that's right, Angela Merkel. (laughs) Um, This is this character is just like Angela Merkel, down to her 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 gorgeous pantsuits, (laughs) um, her crop top of hair, and (laughs) yes. So uh, the plot, although not quite Christmas-adjacent uh, centers around mm-hmm. our, our young protagonist, Phoebe Gates and uh, Ralph Macchio? I don't even remember. Who <laughs> no, it's, uh, it's Zach Gallagher is the actor. Zach Gallagher, yes. Yeah. Uh, we catch up with them a few years later. They've moved to the big city. They're not yeah. living in New York, living their dream with their, oh man, their $200 a month apartment. Where do they ever find the money? <laughs> <laughs> it was a different time, John. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the landlords were too high on cocaine to know what was going on. <laughs> And they had the, the Bloomberg terminals, so they were just making money hand over fist. They yes. didn't need. <laughs> that, that was a charity for them, was the, <laughs> the rent. <laughs> but yes, um, we catch up with them a few years. They've moved to New York, uh, and now they're both working at uh, Clamp Tower. The figure you were referring to earlier was uh, Daniel Clamp. Daniel Clamp is the, the big kind of uh, parody of Donald Trump, but also I, I felt a lot more Ted Turner influences, because they make I, a big emphasis too. on uh, his, his cable network ambitions, but then also a lot of digs at the fact that he wants to recolor black and white movies. He hates black and white movies. Yeah, and Ted Turner back in the late 80s famously tried to colorize a lot of classic films like It's a Wonderful Life mm. and Citizen Kane. Uh, so you're right. It it definitely pertains more to Ted Turner, and also th- I was surprised by this. There's an affability to him, which I was surprised, which I c- thought was surprising because both both Ted Turner and Donald Trump were seen as kind of uh, clowns or buffoons. Yeah, but not necessarily like charming. There's there's a charming quality to uh, President Clamp that I wasn't, or I guess he's not President Clamp <laughs> at that point. We'll wait for Gremlin C for that. Yes, but the uh, Daniel Clamp character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, he's. Uh, I was expecting. He yeah he's. He, It would be real easy to kind of make him the main protagonist of the movie, but he's really not. He's kind of more, you're right, an absolute buffoon. And I think the scene Mm -hmm. that kind of stuck out most to me is the one where we just kind of meet him in the office before all hell breaks loose, and he just looks bored. Like, he's got this boyish, giddy energy that he just can't keep uh, keep maintained. And he's like, "Uh, oh, what do we do? Let's do memos. Yeah, memos are fun. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So, uh, I. I think people's nostalgia and affection for it being an anti-sequel plays more than the relevance to Donald Trump. Let's dispense with that. Yes. But the the original idea for the sequel is that instead of gremlins terrorizing a small town, now it's terrorizing an entire office building in New York City. Mm -hmm. A high-tech, smart building. Very prescient as well.
1: Now everything
0: is automated. Uh, there's a voiceover, um, kind of foreseeing like the future where we'd have like nests. There's cameras everywhere now, so it's kind of yeah. it, this movie was, you know, in hindsight, very ahead of its time when it came to. Even though the obviously the look of everything is very dated, it's still very uh, yeah in 1980s. The way everything is like silver and gray and brutalist. Yeah, so it, that's at least how I think Warner Brothers wanted the sequel to go. Mm-hmm. But once the Gremlins actually do multiply and start wreaking havoc, that's where things like really go off the rails. And this just becomes a series of for the next forty minutes, like a series of comedy sketches involving and looney Tunes involving the gremlins. well, and, and to, so, but to Joe Dante's credit, I think he does yeah. try to set you up very well to let you know that this is a very different sequel. or at least that this one has much more of a winking quality to it because, yeah, I mean, literally, what is the first frame of this movie? It's literally a. Looney Tunes short. We get the yeah. intro of the Warner Brothers and we get Bugs Bunny and uh, Donald Duck or not Donald Duck Daffy Duck my apologies yeah. Daffy Duck and it's quite kind of setting you up it's like the tone of this is going to be very different. This is not your classic Amblin Entertainment Steven Spielberg produced movie and I think it's all the richer for it honestly. You, you're absolutely right or at least I think a lot of the opinions were right that this is you know just Gremlins again just more of it. Honestly I think mm-hmm. what they did was they squeezed two sequels worth of stuff into one sequel because <laughs> not only, not only are they going even more over the top with the kind of gags, but then also just the winking eye to everything. There's much more of a satire to this movie, not just in the fact that that's taking place in New York and they're making fun of, you know, Ted Turner and um, Donald Trump, but also, Again, those kind of like modern inconveniences, like capitalism, like a lot of in jokes about the company that's actually making it, like the Warner Brothers logo is everywhere here, and they're also like referencing other huge Warner Brothers products at the time, like the Batman logo makes an appearance and stuff like that. It's all, it's all very self-referential, which you would kind of expect from maybe a third uh, movie in a trilogy, but here it's just like they just went bonkers with it and they just kind of like overstuffed it which is why I'm kind of I understand why when this movie first came out people were kind of like this is a lot this is a bit too much yeah. you're you're breaking the fourth <laughs> wall already a little too much <laughs> even yeah. though gremlins the original though it was kind of following that you know classic steven steelberg template it still had those kind of winking moments here they just kind of pushed it to the very logical extreme to the point where you have hulk hogan staring at the camera (laughs) and being like enjoy the show folks (laughs) yeah
1: thus this formula specially designed for those of the nocturnal persuasion to make bright light no problem whatever that will be of crucial usefulness where you will be going what does he mean where he'll be going We can't let them get away. All they have to do is to eat three or four children, and they'd be the most appalling publicity. There it is. The apple. The city's so nice they named it twice. Check it out one time, won't you? You mean a gremlin with leathery wings just flying around, flip-flopping, bust through a wall, make a perfect bat symbol in the wall, get outside, get in some wet concrete, jump up on a building and just dry in place like a gargoyle gremlin, we are cooking with gas now, I love it, it's in the movie.
0: Along with the Looney Tunes outro, you're right, I I do admire the the chutzpah that Don, <laughs> Joe Dante had in making this, this whole movie just basically a cartoon, mm-hmm. I just wish it had been focused a little bit more in those 40 minutes, like you said, there are those little touches, like the, the Batman logo and there's a scene earlier where I thought like it it would go in terms of like and um being satirical of capitalism and kind of like having people how it forces people into this rat race because we see both uh, our heroes played by Zach Gallagher and Phoebe Cates mm-hmm. they they're now drones in this giant office building yeah. we also see. Like um, as one of the surveillance camera catches a a janitor like taking a break, and he's immediately fired on the spot via this voiceover, like yeah. <laughs> you know, completely uncaring, and so like I thought that's the way the, the sequel, the the kind of the tone of the movie, not the tone, but say the content of the movie would go, yeah, is satirizing it, but. Unfortunately, it kind of gets lost in these in this Looney Tune stuff because mm-hmm. for at those like 40 minutes we don't see another main character on the screen. There's there's an incredible gag, and I thought they should have saved this for the climax where. Uh, Phoebe Cates survives a plunging elevator mm-hmm. where the floor explodes in Gremlin's blood <laughs> and suet and and gore. It's it's an it's an incredible effect that they did, and then we don't see Phoebe Cates for like another hour <laughs> until the very end, and it's like oh we should wrap this up somehow. <laughs> yeah, it does it it does get a little lost, like. Mm-hmm. But also, if this is if we are judging this by a comedy as opposed to the original, which we. Uh, kind of judge on the merits of it being like an all-ages adventure flick for kids, I think this does succeed much more as a comedy, because there is literally a gag a minute, um, especially yes. when it comes to the gene-splicing floor. Um, that's kind of the it's the other interesting thing. It's like, yes, it's an office building, but obviously he's rented out to so many other bu- businesses, especially the unscrupulous ones. So we have yeah. the magnanimous Christopher Lee as Dr. Catheter, <laughs> just like chewing the scenery in every scene right. he's in, but giving it that, yeah. you know, a honed thespian gravitas. <laughs> I loved every second of, that he was on screen. Yeah, Yeah, that, that was a great bit uh it it's kind of weird because it's jammed into uh, like five other plot lines that we have we mm-hmm. have the Futtermans like coming into town visiting like our favorite our favorite Futtermans characters oh like, of come course on. Dick Miller like yeah we have them and Daniel Clamp and Robert Picardo's character and, and all of them like kinda I was wondering like where exactly that fits in. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's where the movie really comes alive is when the the Gremlins take over the as you said, the gene splicing room in this office building in the middle of New York City. <laughs> uh I again throw your throw whatever congruities you had, like, out the window. <laughs> like that's that's where the movie really comes alive. And I think where other people appreciate it is how much farther the Gremlins uh, effects and technology has come in the oh, six yes. years between the movies. Yeah, yeah. The, now the they've looks got looks and the and the and what they're able to do with the puppetry is just so much more refined in this one as well. So I think that's also why I think people appreciate it a lot more. Like With the original, you can definitely see the seams, or you can kind of see how limited they were in terms of their budget. Here, it's like every dollar that they spent on those puppets is on (laughs) display. We are going to show you a scene that has no bearing on the plot, but we're going to show you Gizmo dancing to a Fat Domino (laughs) song. Yes. (laughs) And yeah, it has no bearing on the story, but it'll probably live in my brain for the rest of my life. (laughs) I mean, you you kind of made that point. It's like they're kind of skewering capitalism a little bit. And I think they yeah. also kind of appreciate that Gizmo is the most marketable character. So yeah, we get a lot more of Gizmo at the beginning. Um, yes. Red letter media when they did their review kind of mentioned this. Like I guess the other thing the one thing that does kind of hamper this movie is it does feel obligated to repeat the same beats. As the original, even in the same spot, even when they don't make sense. Like, we get the reveal of Gizmo after it's come out of the box. Like, you know, like the the music swells and it's like he's popping up like a, you know, newly born baby. But it's like he's already Mm -hmm. sung and danced and we've already seen him, like, (laughs) do everything at that point. So that moment is meaningless. Maybe it's kind of also the point because they also, like, are making fun of the original so much and to the point where phoebe cates gets another kind of like sad like this is why i hate christmas it's like oh don't don't talk about abraham lincoln around me yeah (laughs) you know they're like hanging a lampshade at that moment to the point where he's like oh we got to get out of here we don't have time for this Yeah, that one that one didn't work for me because it's at the very end. It felt like yeah. crammed. It's in the middle of their final scheme to uh, dispose of the gremlins that have mm-hmm. taken over the office building. The one I prefer earlier is um, when when Zach kids character like rushes into the security room like we've got a serious problem here. Like we've got these animals that can't eat after midnight. And then everybody chimes in like wait, what do you mean they can't eat after midnight? Like what if yeah, <laughs> like, what if you if, fly yeah. across the time zone? Like, what yeah. if he gets a piece of food stuck in his mouth? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So that, that that gag, or at least that self-referential gag worked better for me mm-hmm. just because of where it was placed yeah. versus that one. That's, that seemed tossed off. And at least, like, you could say that sad sack kind of story that VBK's characters has is at least based in in the story mm-hmm. and is designed to, I don't know, transmit some portentousness to it. <laughs> Whereas, yeah, here it just, I don't know, it, it felt like kind of, I, I still want to believe in the magic of the movies. I don't like it when <laughs> I don't like it when they diminished in my eyes, which is probably why I I didn't react as strongly to Gremlins 2 mm. as some other audiences member who appreciate maybe the anarchic quality. Like I thought like I hey, I paid good money and sat and you know, spent my 2 hours. I I demand a, a story, damn it. No. A, one that's uh scary and enlightening and yeah, and Obviously, Joe Dante doesn't doesn't give a shit, or completely wants to. Well, here's the thing. Uh, here's the thing. I yeah. think the reason why it works so well in Gremlins Two is because what is the story they're ultimately doing? The same story as the original Gremlins. <laughs> yeah. So that's true. it's not like we're missing anything here, because plot wise, if you do kind of take out all the anarchic gags and all just the ridiculous, over the top special effects, it is beat for beat the same story as Gremlins. Yeah. So I think that's also why this works is because it's like, you already know what we're doing here, so let's just stuff it with as many extras. Again, going to the point where we have a gag where it looks like the reel burned away, <laughs> and the gremlins are actually in the booth, and then we have Hulk Hogan threatening them to put the movie back on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: Okay, you guys, listen up. People pay good money to see this movie. When they go out to a theater, they want cold sodas, hot popcorn, and no monsters in the projection booth. Do I have to come up there myself? Do you think the Grimsters can stand up to the hoster? Well, if I were you, I'd run the rest of Gremlins too right now. What? You talking about putting Hulk Hogan, professional wrestler... Turned actor, turned cultural icon in the movie where he break the fourth wall of the movie he's in by talking to the audience. You, sir, are a raging psychopath.
0: I want to talk about that gag for a little bit because Joe Dante has, has spoken a lot about this movie. And he spoke about how the Warner Brothers executive said, oh, you can't do that. Mm-hmm. like Because people will either walk out of the theater or think that the, that the projector is actually broken. This, my first ever viewing of Gremlins 2, I'm actually with the executives there. I thought the gag, like, took too long. <laughs> and it takes place in the middle of a, like, a long dialogue scene between Zach Galligan and Christopher Lee. Yeah. Initially, like, yeah, the screen goes a little bit wonky, and then there there's too long of it being white. Hmm. And I I legitimately got caught, like, like oh something so either something went wrong even though I knew it was coming I knew either something went wrong or I'm like waiting for the gremlins silhouettes to like pop up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can't remember how it's resolved. Like the because this theater is actually inside the building, right? So they're presumably watching gremlins too. I don't know. I don't gremlins think it was. I theater. think it was meant to be representative of the theater you're actually in. And that's like yeah, but. Because when the whole they thing had the is guy like behind he looks Raul at you there. He, the Hulk Hogan <laughs> looks at you. He looks into the audience and says, "Enjoy the show, folks." <laughs> yeah, that's true. And, but then you had the usher, who's played by the guy behind eating Raoul, like Paul Bartel or something like that, <laughs> <laughs> like doing his like board stick. Yeah. <laughs> and- <laughs> like yeah i can't remember how it's resolved i'm sorry i can't remember a lot about this movie because it, it's all a blur it at is. some point like we haven't even mentioned like a... the other big fourth wall breaking gag where we have leonard moulton reviewing the original gremlins yes. which famously he gave a negative review to and so they brought him in here as like hey would you like to do a joke where the gremlin's gonna get revenge on you and leonard moulton <laughs> yeah. being the generous soul that he is said absolutely absolutely yes. <laughs> which okay and he was also like i also love the framing device he's doing a show called like the movie police and it's like this yeah. over-the-top thing where he's got a whistle it's so stupid but then i had to like look it up it's like wait this might have been an actual show that leonard malton did i i don't think so that feels like uh like that simpsons gag like that's my lock of the week it's my shoe in for the week okay <laughs> That's that's one more I felt like. Uh, maybe quite. that was a trend in the late 80s, early 90s. Who knows? Because yeah. they had Gene Shallot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I don't want to talk anymore about this story, what little of it the, there is. Mm-hmm. But I do want to extol its virtues for, again, Joel Dante being the rebel that he is. Like, wanting to do an anti-sequel. I love the production design and how much more they could do with the Gremlin. We haven't even talked about Spider Gremlin. Oh, yes. (laughs) Great final boss, or at least would be a final boss if it weren't for the one scene where they have to, you know, obliterate everybody in a single lobby. But yeah, that's Spider Gremlin. Like, um, sadly, you know, no Gremlin in particular. Because the Gremlins are now, like, so differentiated, I had a kind of harder time, like, giving them kind of, like, clever nicknames. Like, in the original, everyone remembers Stripe. Stripe was yeah. a clear leader, and he was the one who was most differentiated. Here, it's like yeah. the original four gremlins. They're like this great little like uh, 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 squad. Like one yeah. is ultra goofy, one is like dumb looking, one is like old and looks over it. And then yeah. I guess like <laughs> Finn would be his name because he has like this weird kind of like dorsal fin, like he looks like a fish. <laughs> and he yeah. eventually drinks this juice that turns him into a giant spider, where he almost kills that harlot. <laughs> that uh, <laughs> well, yeah, and maybe th- maybe that's the other thing I wanted to like at least. The original The original Gremlins has this very tough balancing act of being like a lighthearted high school comedy. Yeah, even though they're not in high school, I don't know why I'm saying that much. <laughs> it's really hard to tell what uh, Billy Peltzer's age is. Yeah, because <laughs> he's like immature, but he still has a job at the bank. Like he yeah. lives at home. It's 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 really not not important. Yeah, but it's it's balancing between a light-hearted comedy and a thriller. Yeah. With like horror elements to it. Mm-hmm. This is just a comedy, and I never felt for a second that anybody was in any real danger. Yeah, And also, it just goes soft, because as you said, there's this Harlot character mm-hmm. who, I don't, I don't know why she's initially attracted to Billy, other than she he impresses the boss at one point. Oh, that's her and only again, reason. She, she, she wants yeah. to use him to get up the corporate ladder. Which she yeah. eventually gets anyway. She's like a horrible person and the movie rewards her for it at the end. <laughs> exactly. And that's that's what I also couldn't understand. Is that, like, yes this this movie is pointing out, like, some of the uh, defaults with capitalism. Like, how enervating it can be. How soulless it can be. Yet, all the characters are rewarded in the way that capitalism does. Like, yeah. Billy Peltzer gets a promotion from the affable Daniel Klam. Yeah. <laughs> And, you know, even though we have that great symbol, like I love the the clamp enterprises logo where it looks like, hey, the world is getting squished, like getting squeezed. (laughs) I thought that was a good reflective, like reflection of capitalism. But still, things have this like happy ending. So I think it's like I think it's more meant to be a comment on the fact that uh, capitalism and life just isn't fair. And it's also not a meritocracy like Billy Peltzer, for all his good qualities, just kind of looks into getting a promotion just because he happens to be there or the boss just happens to be there. And it really could just be anybody. And it's really kind of arbitrary and not important. Well, that would be funny then if yeah. it like ended with somebody else like being like, like, hey, you happen to be in the lobby, and then yeah. he ignores Billy. That's like that be... yeah. Billy's the one who saves the day because he knows the most about a grem- the gremlins. But yeah, it would be funnier if yeah. it was just maybe the guy who got fired from his smoke break. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, and that would be also like a happy ending. yeah, like, And more thematically congruent so Mm -hmm. no i'm not gonna say gremlins 2 is a perfect movie i have my foibles with it Mm -hmm. but i can understand its cult appeal and why people love it so much especially now that it has this new cultural relevance with uh president or daniel clamp becoming the leader (laughs) of the free world (laughs) Uh, or at least a more sinister terrible version of daniel clamp (laughs) yes oh if only i'll take daniel clamp any day are you kidding yeah by the way, is Ted Turner still with us? <laughs> uh, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, he uh, might still be with us in in body. Maybe not in mind. <laughs> or yeah, spirit. let's see. Okay. Punching punch up the, the Google Voltron. <laughs> <laughs> beep, boop, boop, beep, boop, boop. Vamping. Let's see. Robert Edward Turner III is still with us at yeah. a ripe old age. 81 years young. Oh, only 81? Yep. Dang. I thought he was older than that. Because mm-hmm. he looked like he was well, in the 70s and the 90s, damn. Yeah, wow. I, I don't know what his current job is, because he, he's a former Atlanta Braves owner. Like, he had everything to do with Atlanta. Like, yes. <laughs> the, <laughs> he yeah, tried to it, buy Atlanta. <laughs> yes. And, yeah, I don't know if he's, he's taken a step back, and I'm not sure exactly what... Uh, his uh, who knows? I, I don't know. Anyway, he's he, I think he's fared better reputation-wise than than one President Trump, so because mm. he kept his hands President- to himself. Yes, <laughs> Pre- President Trump asked, asterisk. <laughs> um.
1: Stop spreading the news. I'm leaving today. These vagabond shoes are longing to stray and step around the heart of it, New York, New York. That's it, I don't even care anymore. We got the holster in this bitch, so it's done. I don't have any more time, so let me just recap right now. It's brainy gremlin, spider gremlin, back gremlin, lady gremlin, googly Eye gremlin, electricity gremlin, Hulk Hogan's gonna be in the picture. I'm gonna throw in a gremlin myself vegetable gremlin just write it up i'm having so Why much not? fun thank you it's all gonna be in the actual film now i gotta go put some cowboys and back to the future three sayonara
0: y'all oops i mean but but john i mean it's good that this movie kind of recalibrates what we expect out of a sequel yeah and this will lead in perfectly to our discussion of uh star wars the the rise of skywalker mm. or at least it would <laughs> if you oh i'm sorry i, I just want to I'm go sorry. back to this mr s- oh i don't have time to see movies for r&r and now i'm the one who didn't get a chance to go to the theater and now it's like oh sean how could you how dare you yeah, I, you said you were tired yes now i want to know what other like po- excuses you could possibly say you were tired for outside of say your marriage i uh, i look forward to i look forward to using that one <laughs> Um, sadly, I don't have any marital obligations. Um, I just finished a, a semester of graduate school, and I was just trying to take some time off. That's Okay, all. fine. Fair enough, fair enough. Mm-hmm. You're, you're doing graduate school and part-time work in this. Exactly. <laughs> this is its own job, really. I you mean, know. you people should appreciate us more is what I'm saying. Who has the energy to see multiple movies in a week? I mean, I ask you. I ask you. <laughs> We're doing the Lord's work here. Exactly. Thankfully, we saw so many movies from 2019. And since this is the last episode mm-hmm. of the year, come on, John, let's let's do what we do every year. Recap it. Let's let's talk about it. Let's talk. Let's chat. Let's 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 give it to the, whole... the fat. Exactly. And I, it also gives people an excuse to just listen to this episode instead of the older ones where we talk about uh movies that we see recently. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you could go to the back catalog. No, let's recap it here. So yes, we're gonna be uh, talking about the year two thousand and nineteen of our Lord in our signature segment, Spotlight. 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 spotlight.
1: It's time, Robbie. It's time.
0: <laughs> let's let's put a spotlight on the year, huh? Yeah. Hey. <laughs> hey Was it a good you... year for movies? Was it a bad year for movies? Who knows? It. The point is that there's no way to uh, s- uh, summarize. Uh, <laughs> what am I trying to say? <laughs> I don't know. There's what no you're way to summarize to say. <laughs> exactly. There's no way to summarize how a movie arbitrarily fits into a calendar year. Mm-hmm. So I find it fatuous and stupid. I know some people. I know one thing. It's been a particularly unmemorable year for American movies. Mm. Did you remember there was a Pikachu movie that came out (laughs) earlier this year? I forgot there was a Godzilla movie this year, which was supposed to be part of a whole cinematic universe. No one really knows what they're doing. I think that's the biggest problem. Um, I mean, I'm looking at every movie I've seen this year. I've seen a total of 41 Mm. movies this year. Um, Okay. A lot of uh, superhero movie adjacent, or at least like anime or Japanese, uh, originally a Japanese uh, franchise, Adjacent movie, so I don't okay. know what that means. <laughs> I, besides means the fact it, that you know everyone makes that joke, like movie Hollywood's out of ideas, and uh, I think this is definitely the case. <laughs> I probably well they've been out of ideas for this whole decade, mm-hmm. and so that that's not new. I think what's different about this year is again how somewhat forgettable the summer season was in particular. Like as we mentioned that that the detective pikachu movie just felt like a time filler mm-hmm. like it just felt like hey we have to go here we have to go here and it typified martin scorsese's comment that it felt like a theme park ride yeah same same with the godzilla movie in spite of them their ambitions to create a cinematic universe and get king kong in there i think coming up in 2020 uh, it just felt so repetitive and none of the human characters made any impact and i was just like oh no the human characters are in danger what's going to happen like <laughs> oh godzilla's going to come and save them <laughs> after about five times the five times that that happened <laughs> i was i was pretty much over it yeah uh, yeah i mean the other, so, the other thing we can also comment on is like kind of also how abysmal the comedy scene has become like there's really well, there- also not a lot of good comedies out either yeah. Well, I think part of that is because they're releasing fewer and fewer comedies. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, the, mo- the movie business is now so much of an international business. And one thing that's really hard to translate, especially to a broad Chinese audience, which is obviously what every major studio is going for, mm-hmm. is comedy. Yeah. So that's why, like, you saw very few studio comedies this year, uh, very few independent comedies. And whatever they're working on, maybe at some point, like, the comedy writers had a screenplay sitting in their drawer. Now it's a pilot. Oh, yes. Now it's a yeah. yeah. Now now it's a, a show designed to get on, an HBO or Hulu or something. Got it. Yeah, that makes yeah. a lot of sense. Yeah, and I know we were commenting on it wasn't just the the summer movies ever forgettable. I want to point this out. I saw a lot of Netflix originals this year. Yeah. and all of them kind of towed this line. Like, my favorite of them was High Flying Bird, but even that one didn't really like kind of. It's only blip was in Steven Soderbergh's directorial style. He shot it on an iPhone uh, to use the wide-angle lens he had on it. Mm -hmm. Like, that made what is a very talky, behind-the-scenes sports drama a lot more interesting. Got it. But the rest of their slate was all just very forgettable. Like, I can't remember much from Triple Frontier. I can't remember much from Wine Country. Mm -hmm. Not much from Dolomite Is My Name, other than maybe a commendable performance from Eddie Murphy. That's about it. Mm -hmm. So, I, I don't know what it is... It I don't know if it's me t- seeing these movies on the couch at home versus like going to the theater that's differentiating them from say uh, the thematic the the filmic ex- or so what am I saying the cinematic experience when I actually go to a movie and see it projected on a big screen and I'm kind of like locked in and <laughs> living in a distraction free environment where I don't pause and go to the kitchen or check uh, t- Twitter or something like that. So I mean, you might have a point. Like the only kind of notable movie I can remember that was a Netflix exclusive. And it kind of got a bit, a lot of press when it came out was always be my maybe starring Ali Wong. Yeah. But even I was kind of like, Oh yeah, that was kind of like cute, like a nice little time passer. But yeah, I didn't really like love it or kind of lauded as one of the best films of the year, which I don't think <laughs> a lot of people did either, but you're right. Um, But also like, there was also just a lot of forgettable movies in general. <laughs> like yeah. the reason why I kind of wanted to bring up uh, comedies because like, I I saw Stuber, which was kind of insipid and bad. I saw The Hustle, which was also pretty bad. I saw um, Late Night. Do you remember Late Night? Very vaguely. Well, I remember they they launched it at Sundance, like saying, hey, this is going to be the summer comedy hit, as if it's still like 2006 or something. (laughs) (laughs) And it totally wasn't. Oh, what a pity. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's... and uh, Well, because it takes place in the very relatable world of late-night <laughs> comedy writers' rooms, John. Come on. Write what you know. That's what they say. Um, yeah. That's kind of the problem with the movie. You're absolutely right. It's about, like, oh, the specificity of this is what a writer's room, like, but it's also, like, yeah. trying to go for that broad appeal. It's like, she's such a klutz. Is she going to find a man? She just needs some gumption. <laughs> That's funny. I didn't know that was an element to it. I mean, it's like, it's trying to be, like, more biting and satirical, but it's still kind of falling, like, kind of resting on its laurels of, like, it's a feel-good story about a woman, you know, taking on the world. So it's, like, it's working girl uh, crossed with, like, broadcast news, and it just doesn't fit at all. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Was there anything, like, clever about it, though? Like, was there anything that really stuck out to you? Um, I think it's the kind of classic problem that a lot of movies have where they try to be about... Um, do you remember a movie called Morning Glory? Yes, with uh, Harrison Ford and Rachel McAdams. Exactly, think. like the like they diagnose the problem, but then they discover that the solution is actually going 180 degrees in the opposite direction. <laughs> like, okay, too, um, like <laughs> that's so th- a drama, John. That's how you know it's working. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like so Emma Thompson plays this like late night host, and. Like, it's supposed to be a big deal, because she's, like, the only female late-night host, and she really elevated yeah. the game and made it sophisticated. But now it's too sophisticated, and it's boring. No one wants to listen to Doris Kearns Goodwin anymore. That's boring. And so it's, like, they try to enliven it with, you know, Mindy Kaling's you know, hip millennial style. She's woke. She wants to do, like, <laughs> woke bits. And, right. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that's all late-night comedy is now, is Clapter. <laughs> it's like, he said something I agree with. Or at least, like, the punchline was like, oh, yeah, <laughs> that was the punchline. <laughs> so, yeah, it's... It, it, I didn't really uh, attach to it, but there were a few comedies I attached to, like uh, Booksmart I really, really liked. And uh, we also saw Little, which I thought was really cute. Okay. Like, that movie is uh, extremely broad. Like, honestly, that would be my only problem with it. It's, like, way too broad, like kind of veering into you think gremlins Two's cartoonish oh boy um, check yeah. out little <laughs> well it's well it's because it's a, literally like a body swapping comedy isn't it yeah and exactly it's kind of playing with familiar territory mm-hmm. so i can't i can't begrudge it for that the one thing i want to make a distinction between little and book smart is that little did not carry on the hopes of female directed comedies <laughs> and star or, uh one of my saying comedies starring and directed by women mm. Like, for some reason, because it didn't didn't do super bad numbers, as if, again, it's as if it's still 2007. (laughs) I know we wish it was, but (laughs) it's not anymore. (laughs) Like, I don't know why these films were given, like, their box office now carried the the expectation that, like, oh, this is now affirming of, say, women either behind the scenes or in front of the camera. Well, I think it's, like, that's kind of the marketing push, I think. Absolutely. I think, I think like again, right, going yeah. back to, like, smart. like, Olivia Wilde had to, like, plead on Twitter, like, please see this opening weekend. I know okay. if you're interested, like, you're going to probably put it off. But it's like, that's the only thing that matters, sadly. <laughs> and, again, like, Books. they kind of need a novelty to um, kind of sell movies. Like, that was definitely true of the Ghostbusters reboot in 2016. It was like, stick it to the man by saying, you know, you want a female-led Ghostbusters. That was definitely part of the marketing parlance. And I think it was the same thing with this one. It's like, we're going to do it at Sundance, and it's going to be like a feel-good story. You know, like, the little movie that could. Yeah, yeah. and I will say, that that pleading from a writer, director, or producer mm-hmm. to see it on opening weekend, that's genderless. Like, everybody wants that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so... I I'm assuming somebody's going to give Olivia Wilde another chance because again, book smart was positively received and somebody will say like, Oh, let's, she, she has a distinctive style or voice. Let's mm-hmm. use her for this project. So I'm sure she'll still get work behind the camera. Yeah. Same with Elizabeth Banks after, uh, uh Charlie's angels, which again, nobody, I don't think anybody saw because of it's, um, <laughs> it, it, it took Charlie's angels in a different direction. It just looked no good. <laughs> and that's the thing. I, I think we're, not playing with like strong material here, it's same with probably the Ghostbusters remake like it doesn't matter that now now women are in these starring roles or say behind the scenes yeah it's that the the material has to be there and so i I think in terms of the movies that did st- that did stand out, the material really had to do with either like self-reflection or class Mm -hmm. let's let's look at the self-reflection like i know it i derided netflix movies earlier but the irishman did make an impact i know it probably would have been even better on the big screen but again you can't deny like how brilliant martin scorsese is in terms of like taking uh, his reputation and and really (laughs) glamorizing the mob lifestyle and kind of turning it on his head in the irishman yeah I mean, it's kind of funny that this and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood also came out the same year, because it's, you know, these two veterans of the industry kind of like looking back at their career and and looking Mm -hmm. at it with maybe not fresh eyes, but less than nostalgic eyes, shall we say. (laughs) Well, that's the thing. That's why I like The Irishman more, is because I think Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is dealing with, say, Quentin Tarantino's anxieties about being a has-been or a dinosaur in a changing industry. Yeah and instead what he tries to do is, is rewrite the history mm-hmm. like no <laughs> like me I.E. Rick Dalton yeah <laughs> like will like will be accepted and and this uh, this classic hollywood system will be preserved <laughs> uh, i i did i did like that a lot more movies are acknowledging class too like we talked about two or at least i talked about two and but what am I saying? A lot of other writers on the internet have mm-hmm. <laughs> between the similarities between *Knives Out* and *Parasite*, mm-hmm. both being about kind of the working class trying to get one over on a rich, spoiled family. Yeah, same thing with uh, *Joker*. Uh, you could also mm-hmm. argue that one obviously had class on its mind. Uh, it had a lot yeah. on its mind, apparently. It just couldn't figure out what it wanted to be about. <laughs> but. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> It's about society, man. Yeah, it's, it's like <laughs> about society. <laughs> it's about, like, you know, the law and stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's about a society and how we live in one, I think. <laughs> that's really what it's about. <laughs> what, like, what do you think that's going to continue uh, with the presidential election coming up, Greg? Or do you think? Because, uh, like... You know, movies are, on the one hand, a reflection of what the audience wants to see, but also they're they're brainwashing. They're part of the media, so they're brainwashing us constantly. They're telling us that everything's going to be okay. What's it going to be, Greg? (laughs) I think there's an appetite, there's a renewed appetite for that kind of stuff, Mm -hmm. Uh, like more grounded stories. I think there's a renewed appetite, especially with, like... um, Avengers Endgame coming out this year, like movies can't get much bigger. <laughs> so <laughs> let's, let's contract, let's narrow our focus just a little bit. <laughs> and so I think, I think that's what will happen in the following decade is we're going to see smaller stories. I think they are going to come to streaming services more versus like going out to the theater and seeing them. Mm-hmm. Uh, if they are like going to be epic, it's probably going to be in length or say in like personal dramatics, like say, the relationship between Frank Sheeran and his daughter. Yeah. Like that's, that, that's what's going to, I think going to start driving the more of these like kind of smaller stories is like self-reflection, uh, reflections on class. Mm -hmm. And so I think, I think that's what's going to come in the future. Um, what I'm hoping is, is that, uh, we can kind of put the put the nail in the coffin of the cinematic universe trend, and maybe also the superhero trend, even though it's still doing pretty well. <laughs> I mean, th- I think they're st- like if Joker is kind of the um, any ind- indication. Like, I think we need to find more interesting angles to it, because the whole point yeah. of that movie is like it's a comic book movie that doesn't feel like a comic book movie. Instead, it feels like a Scorsese movie. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and again, it it mostly doesn't work. Um, yeah, uh, it's a poor man's Sc- Scorsese movie is what it feels like. Yeah. Again, it, it feels like Scorsese cosplay. hmm It really... And, yeah, th- honestly, it sounds better than uh, <laughs> the X-Men Dark Phoenix, but <laughs> I did also see X-Men Dark Phoenix. Um, yeah. T- do you want to tell us about that one? Um, sure. There's X-Men in it, and they do things. <laughs> Uh, I think that's what happens. It it feels like a movie on autopilot. It feels like we're sleepwalking through everything. Mostly because they probably, like, reshot half the movie, and I don't know who's supposed to be credited with director or story. It's just like, it feels like a fart in the wind. It's kind of like, oh, it's an X-Men movie, but it's a big deal because it's Dark Phoenix again. Oh, wait, but we settled it, and we're done. And it's like, it's a movie that finally introduces aliens to the X-Men universe, and no one bats an eye. It's like, oh, shit, there's aliens. <laughs> we got to do something about this. Like, what? You can't just drop that in. <laughs> <laughs> well, to be fair, they, they dealt with the apocalypse like less than five years earlier. I so. guess that's true, yeah. <laughs> They're probably going to be nonplussed by everything. I mean, that is kind of the weird, the other kind of weird trend is I think that's also why the the this year has felt so kind of weird. It's like they kept trying to convince us that there's big event movies. Like, this is the culmination of everything, but we all yeah. know that these are franchises that are going to outlive us all, if they haven't already. So they're not mm. stopping anytime soon, like, especially of, I mean, you've seen The Rise of the Skywalker. Does that end kind of on a final note, or does it, like, leave room for sequels? <laughs> uh, well, I'm sure, it's, well, I don't know what kind of sequels they're. They're probably combing Reddit right now for what audiences really responded to, and we'll base the new trilogy around mm-hmm. that. But it ends. It it concludes everyone's story in a satisfactory manner. Okay. Again, satisfactory. Everything you want. Not much more. Okay. And so I'm sure. Like yes, there's probably going to be another trilogy coming soon. Whether it's from, uh, Ryan Johnson or the Game of Thrones guys, mm-hmm. I I'm not exactly sure, but. The, the one thing I noticed from The Rise of Skywalker is it didn't feel like anything changed. Mm. And at least with Avengers Endgame, like, you get to see, like, characters change and they get a satisfactory conclusion. Like, let's think of, like, Captain America's arc. Yeah. Like, at least, like, I know the writers talked about this. So like, at least he gets a life outside of, you know, helping people. Mm-hmm. And in the case, it's it's a romance. Like, that that's at least, like somewhat dramatically different than where everybody winds up at the end of, I don't know, say Game of Thrones or um, <laughs> or uh, The Rise of Skywalker. So, yeah, okay. Same thing with, yeah. like, a Toy Story 4. Toy Story 4, I don't know if we've gotten a chance to see that one yet. Yes, I did see that one. Yeah. Um, and that one kind of ends I, on a note that it's like, oh, we're moving on to the future, but the status quo is kind of... Uh, inevitably altered. So I, I appreciated yeah. that a lot for them to have the courage to at least do that even though yeah. it's still a Disney property just, and we're going to get it till the end of time. <laughs> yeah, and I just wish it wasn't just a wacky journey to get there. Like <laughs> they have to take over a car or whatever like it seemed as as stupid as uh finding Dory. <laughs> and it's like, "Oh, we got to take over this truck and get the it, is little, plant, it is a little it is a little overplotted, I will admit, <laughs> because it's like, yeah. "Oh, we got to get out of this antique store. No, we got to get back into the antique store. Uh, yeah. No, we got to get out of this antique store." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did appreciate that changing somewhat. Mm-hmm. So you're right about that. So, but yeah, I I don't know. It was jeez, summing up a year in movies is hard. What What was your favorite movie of this year? Toy Story 4. I can't seriously. <laughs> I can't <Okay>. tonight. <laughs> All right, fine. Fair enough. um Granted, again, I have not yet seen Parasite. I have not seen The Lighthouse. There's a lot of like movies that I knew I would love and probably enjoy more than Toy Story. But um, Toy Story, uh, I cried at least twice at. Um, it really hit me in a weird way that I was not expecting, especially because this was the fourth one that obviously everyone was like, oh, this is an also-ran. The third one was like the real conclusion. So I don't know why that movie hit me as hard as it did. But yeah, I really appreciated Toy Story 4, and that's probably my favorite movie I've seen this year followed closely by uh if i had to narrow it down to top three um i would heavily recommend the farewell that uh, aquafino movie oh yeah that was really good yeah you talked about that yeah, yeah. and then uh, i also caught the report this past weekend and that's a really good movie okay that's kind of your right. classic like boots on the ground like you know we're import- we're men doing a job <laughs> like <laughs> like but sp- like spotlight <laughs> exactly <laughs> Maybe, maybe a little too close to that. It, it almost falls into uh, all the king's men territory, where it's so sticking to the facts. It's like it kind of forgot to be dramatic. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> you mean all the presidents' men? You said all the kings' oh, men. Oh, sorry. Which is head. another, which is another kind of movie. Oh, okay. <laughs> got it. <laughs> that one plays fast and loose with the the life of Huey Long, but whatever. Yeah. Uh, for me it was it was only really two contenders. The re- the rest like kind of like, like I admire like if I had a number 3 it would be high flying bird mm-hmm. but that's kind of a distant third. Really the the top spot was competed for with the Irishman but it just gets beat out by parasite okay. which I know people are lauding as as the best movie of the year, and yeah, I think they're right. I think it is the best movie. It's uh one of the by far one of the best movies I've seen this year. I mean, so it's appearing on some of the, the best of decade lists too. Like, oh my goodness, oh, oh, oh. yes, yeah. John. Maybe we should do one of those. What do you think? Well, that would be a lot of fun, wouldn't it? <laughs> yes, it would be. <laughs> so let's say uh, we put it out as a little bonus episode. Check it out. The first week of the year or so. Yeah. Yeah. Once the once the decade finally wraps up and you're tired from (laughs) all the holiday stresses. Think back on the last ten years. Think about where we started and where we are now. I'll tell you where we started. Uh bright eyed, fresh out of college, and now we're putting our hopes into an old man from Vermont. (laughs) (laughs) Or sorry, an old man from Brooklyn by way of Vermont. (laughs) Uh, or Elizabeth Warren. Elizabeth Warren's a good uh, candidate too. Oh, come on, come on. There's a lot worse. No ones. capit. No capitulation. Oh. I. This is this, this. You're damn right. This primary security purity tests <laughs> all right <laughs> okay. and she's she's already failed by like i've got a plan to <laughs> sorry this is my elizabeth Warren impression I, she's i'm sure she's a very nice lady or whatever but i'm gonna make fun of the way she speaks because i'm a sexist <laughs> um, <laughs> i've got she's like every other democrat like i've got a, a triangulation of like a 15 point plan to like get through <laughs> no make it simple make it snappy make it easy <laughs> And shoot for the moon. At least you wind up towards the stars. Don't try to connect the stars in some indecipherable <laughs> constellation. Not having that. But Greg, what about the billionaires? Don't the billionaires deserve a seat <laughs> at the table? <laughs> no, no, they don't. I've seen their wine cave. Gross, ugly, gaudy. Oh, okay. Get it out of here. <laughs> All right. Well, mm. if you guys have any political opinions, I have a great way that <laughs> you can share them. Uh, yes, we're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. Uh, we're on Insta. Uh, we can, you can... Share with us, you control us, it'll be great. Awesome. Yes, yeah. let's do yes, it. Yes, please do. Yeah. I invite all, all Groypers <laughs> and um, Bernie Brothers, Rose emojis. Uh, to, if if you're not on the internet, you will have no idea what the hell I'm talking I about. I don't even know and what God, the hell you're talking and about. God, and you? God bless you. I admire I I envy your ignorance on the matter, but uh, we welcome all political discourse. As well as discourse about Gremlins too. Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe we got it wrong. Maybe maybe it is the greatest film of all time and we're missing and we're missing the reasons why. So mm-hmm. go ahead, write to us, ask us us a question uh we have an email aspiring gmail at gmail.com ask us questions send us recommendations we'll we'll take them we'll read them on air mm-hmm. and uh you know you can do all that but then also the most important thing you need to do if we have to give you any yeah. homework is you have to go to your podcast service of choice wherever you're listening to this and give us five stars boom it's exactly. that we're easy. giving you. we're giving you fr- we're giving you free ad free content Mm-hmm. That's right. I use free twice in the same <laughs> sentence. Because <laughs> it's free. Everything's free. <laughs> exactly. So please, do Do us. A, we do you a solid. Do us a solid. Mm-hmm. Go to that podcast service, a choice of yours. Give us five stars. More people will find the show. We'll have even more questions and recommendations to take in and even more content and deliver an even better show for you. Yeah. That's really what it's about. Exactly. Because right now, we, we are under no obligation to make the show any better. But until no. you give us the five stars, <laughs> then we'll have an actual listenable show. It's going to be great. Yes. An actual studio. You, yeah. I, I swear. Yeah. It'll work. Yeah. An actual, an actual studio. Uh, 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 John, what are we talking about next week? Uh, 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 next week... Oh, shit. Uh, something. I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> I believe... We're, we're going to be back next week. Mm-hmm. We are going to do a bonus episode, kind of wrapping up the decade. Mm-hmm. But... I, we'll be back next week with uh, a classic from the 60s. Uh, a remake was just announced, and I realized that you and I hadn't seen the original. Bro, next week we're talking The Dirty Dozen. Ah, yes. The original Suicide Squad. Ah. <laughs> exactly. That was such a classic. People probably don't even recognize that it took a lot from the original inspiration, The Dirty Dozen. So, <laughs> I mean, a lot of people missed a lot about that movie because they were so confused. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> No, they were fine. It's all fine. It's all fine. That's the key takeaway about movies. Everything's fine. It's fine. Yes. That's that's my big prediction. This was the decade of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. The 2020s will be the decade of the DC Extended Universe. We're going to see The Flash. Oh, joy. We're going to see uh, uh, Crazy Quilt. We're going <laughs> to see Kite Man. Yeah. And Warner Brothers, please, a Batman Beyond movie. Come on. Oof. Make it happen. It writes itself. I know. You had so much good material. It's already been written. (laughs) Exactly. It's already been written. You just got to, like, take the bits and pieces, uh, give him the uh, Black Panther costume, boom, you're done. Yeah, It's that easy. Gosh. Yeah. Cast Harrison Ford as uh, an older Bruce Wayne. Come on. Genius. Genius. I know. I mean, is there anyone better we could maybe, like, I don't know. I'm picturing, like, Clancy Brown in that role. Oh, that'd be good, too. Yeah, because Clancy Brown has this great, like, kind of old, over-it kind of gruffness to him now. Yeah, the the Sad Free Brothers. Ooh. I hear they're available after Uncut Gems. Heck, these brothers, you and I are also Yay. available to write it. How about those brothers who did the Fifth Pirates of the Caribbean movies? They're available. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> Heck, even the sisters. Uh Katie Dippold could do it. Mm. Um who's another? Olivia Wilde could direct it. She'd be great. <laughs> She's already done like dark cinematography, so. There you go. Mm-hmm. More female directors yes directing the movies we want i.e batman beyond so (laughs) more batman beyond please yeah terry mcgillis get him on the screen yes okay now that we've lost officially everybody (laughs) i think it's time (laughs) to wrap up thank you everybody for listening and until next time until next year keep aspiring